So I, I really like the idea of doing an entire year with like a theme to it. Of course, you have to have the commitment to that, and and and, and like maybe kind of plan things out and, and and do that because this is, you know, this gets this whole thing gets tough when you've got in your job and you're doing like two or three of these and there's the kid and you know your schedule becomes like you know hey it's four o'clock on a Thursday and nobody's home until five thirty let me do this and well you know so. So, so having that year, like planning out that year, I, I really like that idea. I, I think it's, I think it's a good, I think it's a good way to, 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 to set yourself up for, for, probably failure, but a successful year. And 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 really and truly, I, I I'm not ripping off Michael Bailey entirely here, but. Uh, you know he does deserve for some credit for my unleashing this podcast in, in the world because if I hadn't listened to these, I probably would have done it. But you know, and I guess I, I'm thanking him here. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of randomly rambling nonsensically at the beginning of the show. But you know, I don't know. I think that's about as far as I'm going to carry this bit. So, pop culture affidavit episode 22, 1994. The most important year of the 90s? Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture. My name is Tom Panneries, and um, this is the first podcast episode for 2014. I'm recording this in the middle of January. It'll probably be out in the end of January. Uh, And much like the beginning of January, uh, the beginning of 2013, I'm kind of doing an off-the-cuff episode that is kind of about a general topic, uh, and and in this case, I'm going to actually set up what the podcast is going to cover for really the majority of the episodes of this year, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute. And, and when I say off the cuff, um, I'm not reading off of a script like I usually do when I do these episodes, but I have notes. But what's funny is that even when I'm just doing notes... My notes are annoyingly detailed, so you know you take that as you will. But this one had a lot more editing done to it, uh, only because of all of the uhs and ums and me reaching for glasses of water and coughing and burping and farting and whatever the hell I do when you're not, you know, that you don't hear on a podcast episode of mine. Uh, but you know, welcome to the show, welcome to the new year, and uh, if things sound a little different. It's because um, one of my Christmas presents from my parents was a blue snowball microphone. So I actually have a better quality microphone. I'm, up until now, I have been working on a uh, Logitech um, 
headset mic, and I really like that mic. I love the headphones for it, so I'm keeping it around just for the headphones. But uh, those anybody who's recorded with those mics knows that any movement half the time, like if the if the wire moved or something, you'd hear clicks and and things like that. So. I really like this microphone. I get to sit here in a fold. Well, I'm in a folding chair. If I actually get a real office chair, that'll be cool. In my uh, guest bedroom slash office, uh, and and just kind of kind of shoot the shit without having to worry about you know whether or not my my mic's going to make noise while I do it. Um, and and that that's fun. Now I'm kind of still working the kinks out on. The blue, on, on the snowball mic, um, it's very easy to use, but I will say that um, for some reason it wasn't working on my computer, and I have it plugged into a laptop that I have from work, which runs an older operating system and is not as sophisticated as the machine I have. But you know, whatever, um, I'm getting it to work. So <laughs> anyway, last year, personally, kind of. Well, not kind of, just sucked um, without without um, too, going into too much detail. Uh, my wife landed in the hospital at, at, toward, the, toward the end of the summer. It was very scary for a little bit. Um, and uh, so far, she, you know, she's, she's recovering and she's fine. And, uh, you know, we've, you know, uh, work and, and all the other things that, that you, you kind of come to the end of the year and you're just like, God, I'm glad this year is over. And and 2013 was definitely one of those years. Uh, although I will say that I did enjoy what I was able to write and cover over the course of the year. I'm I'm I started uh, another podcast uh, to add to the two that I already have because yeah, taking flight has been on a semi hiatus. Uh, one of the things I was kind of sort of rambling about in the cold opening there was that I, uh, you run out of time to do these things. I mean, like I have, I don't have enough time to listen to the podcast that I have right now. I'm in podcast debt by about 45 podcasts. And the problem becomes that when you're, you know, when you're podcasting, you have to find the time to record. And I don't always have the time to record. In fact, sometimes, um, I'll do it like in the time between when, I uh, get home and either have to go pick up my son from school or when my wife gets home with my son, like today, or I'll do it like on a day that I'm off and I'll knock out like three or four. I did that with a couple of episodes of In Country uh, that I did recently that haven't aired yet because what I do with that podcast is I try to record about 10 or 12 episodes and have those in the can and be that far ahead of myself, which is about six months worth of the podcast. So if I am able to do what I want to do over the course of the next couple of weeks, I will be cleared out until one of the special episodes I'm doing in July. With taking flight, it's been a little bit tougher. What I I, I had broken down the thing into seasons, essentially, um, and the second season has been slow to start mainly because in some cases I've had to find the material I want to cover and in other cases I just have to find the time and um, I actually do have three episodes recorded but want to keep those in the can for a little bit so that maybe I can stack up a few more episodes and then kind of do the same thing with Taking Flight that I do with In Country. This show gets basically recorded 
on a month-to-month basis, and I record it about a, maybe three days to a week before I actually am going to release it. Although, I'd like to do more than just the 12 or 14 episodes I did this year. I'd like to do kind of a... go. I'd love to do this bi-weekly. I don't do it only because of the time constraint involved, because this is a longer podcast than the other two. Taking Flight and In-Country run about, what, a half an hour? This can run up to an hour and a half, or when I have a guest, like three hours, in the case of me and Mike... Uh, talking about Savage Steve, which um, was one of my favorite episodes this year. In fact, um, I was thinking about, you know, the end of the year, I, I posted some stuff, and I was thinking about, like, what my favorite stuff uh, about this year was uh, as, as far as the um, the podcast was concerned. And I had a real blast doing the Cameron Crow flicks, especially singles. Um, I've done Say Anything so many times. Not like done that, but I've watched that so many times, and I love that movie. But Singles was fun because Singles Singles is a movie that, that I think just is underappreciated. Um, my highlights were definitely, uh, believe it or not, the times I did get to co-podcast uh, with somebody. Mike and I talking about Savage Steve Holland's movies was absolutely fantastic. And if you have the time to sit down and go listen to that, I probably should have split it into two episodes, but I did all three hours at once, and... And I just had a blast, and uh, I know I, I think Mike had a great time, and uh, I, I really um, what's cool about that too is that that led to me doing a guest spot on the Forgotten Filmcast, which has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. Todd Liebenau is the host, and he's at uh, I can't remember the exact address, like Forgotten Filmcast, but or ForgottenFilm.blogspot.com or something. Just Google Forgotten Filmcast. And it's about one to two weeks, once every couple of weeks, um, he puts another episode up. They run about an hour, and he and another person sit down, and they look at a forgotten film that is worth doing. You know, They do a plot summary, they do a review, and they do recommendations at the end. And uh, I had found his site by looking at stuff for how I got into college, and I, I made a note of it. And he picked up on it, because I linked to it in the show notes, he said, hey, would you like to be on an episode? I went back and listened. I said, yeah, sure. Uh, I went back and listened to what was like the third or fourth episode of the show, which was Career Opportunities, the Jennifer Connelly movie, which I remember very little about except Jennifer Connelly, white tank top. And uh, and then Todd and I talked about uh, the John Cusack, Tim Robbins movie, Tapeheads, which is a cult classic if there ever was one, which was interesting. I'd love to be on the show again. And um, back in November, I wrote a... Uh, he has a crush-a-thon, he calls it. But take our actors from a random forgotten movie and explain, like, your crush on her. And my piece was about uh, Lori Laughlin in the movie Secret Admirer. And yeah, if you're unfamiliar with... Uh, if you're familiar with Lori Laughlin, yes, you know she's Aunt Becky from Full House. But she's the... She's the overlooked best friend in Secret Admirer. Uh, the main character, the main lead, the lead leading male in that is uh, C. Thomas Howell. So it's an '80s movie, so C. Thomas Howell. And the love interest for him, or the girl he's chasing, is Kelly Preston. But Lori Laughlin's character, Tony, is the best friend who's secretly in love with C. Thomas Howell, and and hijinks ensue. But it's it's an underrated f- movie. Uh, Fred Ward as Kelly Preston's father, brilliant, and it's just one of those. It's one of those always popped up on cable all the time movies, and I always had kind of a crush on Laurie Laughlin because of that movie. Um, at least at the time I first saw it, because it was like you know, she's kind of that 
Well, best friend girl that you kind of want to date. So I'd go check that out and go check out the Forgotten Filmcast. That was really fun. Um, I got to sit down um, with with my friend Shell and talk about Counting Crows, and that was a blast because uh, Shell and I hadn't... Uh, we, we nearly had the chance to... You know, she lives out in Chicago, and I live here in, in Virginia, and uh, we've talked over the years. We've known each other for a good 10 or 11 years, and... Uh, or it's got to be more than that now, but we talked, uh, we talk online all the time and stuff. And it's, it's really cool to, um, you know, hang out on Skype and I'm hoping to have her back on the show. And then, uh, some of the other episodes, I, I just, you know, really enjoyed putting together. I, I love doing the Eddie and the Cruisers episode. Um, I will admit I phoned it in around Christmas because <laughs> I had originally intended to do a commentary for things that don't need commentaries with Garfield's Christmas. And I found the thing on YouTube and then it was taken down. And I was like, right as I went to record it, the damn thing was taken down. I was like, shit. So I, I kind of put together the child's Christmas in Wales episode right at the end of the year there, mainly because um, I just taught it uh, and, and I just spent the day listening to it. And I love that recording of Dylan Thomas. It's like, you know what? This is worth sharing. So, so that was it. And, and uh, I've had some fun with the blog itself. Um, pieces that I loved writing this year, the, the ones that were a little more personal. One of my personal favorites is the, the two liters with, with a Coke. The two slices with a two liter or pizza with a two liter one about the two liter bottle and pizza parlors. Um, and then uh, kind of looking at digging old stuff up about Reality Bites and and some other movies and, and, and finally kind of continuing on and, and grinding toward the end of... Uh, my Life as a Teen Titan, which is a series of posts that will end with the end of the Teen Titans, New Teen Titans, New Titans series, probably in a few months. And I'll probably just do an epilogue because even though I didn't drop the Teen Titans after the Marv Wolfman run ended, it's kind of really the end of an era for me in my comics collecting. Uh, it coincides with my going away to college as well. Because I wouldn't fully drop the Teen Titans until the New 52. I collected through the Dan Jurgens series, which I actually really enjoyed. I collected through the Devin J- Grayson J. Faraber series, which is... has its moments. Uh, and collected through the Jeff John series. I did drop the book for about a year and a half when Sean McKeever was on it. Not because I didn't like Sean McKeever. I just did the stories that were being done. I wasn't really attuned to. And I was having kind of a falling out with comics over Final Crisis anyway. So I just kind of dropped out of comics altogether for about a year and a half. And then eventually found my way back. Because I like Sean McKeever. Uh, and, and, and I do intend to cover The Waiting Place at some point in this podcast. Uh, and then once the new 52 came out and I saw the solicits for Teen Titans and I saw that Scott Lobdell was writing it and some of the stuff that was being done between that and Red Hood and the Outlaws, I was like, no, I think I'm officially over. So I'll get around to that. But one of the things that I was, I was sitting down to figure out, like, what do I want to do with the next podcast episode? What do I want to do for the rest of the year or at least for most of 2014 uh, one of the things I kept coming back to was the idea of doing something where I'm doing like a whole year's worth of shows on one topic or one theme. And um, like I said, I am completely ripping off Michael Bailey, but I've been doing that this whole time, so I think he realizes it. Um, and uh, I liked what he did last year. 
Uh, if you don't listen to views from the long box, A, you should, and B, um, he did a series of shows devoted to Superman. Superman's 75th anniversary was last year. Mike is <coughs> the biggest Superman fan I know. And, and, and appropriately, he did a whole series called Superman at 75, the celebration of a legend. And it was, it was awesome. Um, at this point, I only have one more episode of that left to listen to it, uh, the Smallville episode, which is about, runs about two and a half hours. And I just need to, Again, find the time. Um, but Mike also does from crisis to crisis and things. And what he did was he said, I'm going to do a whole year worth of this show, Superman 75. And, uh, and and he had a smattering of other shows in there. He had a couple of interviews and he had a couple of other topical things in the email episodes and those things like that. So he didn't feel... So he allowed himself the freedom to do... Uh, other shows and other topics uh, instead of feeling, okay, I'm stuck with just this topic, just the show. And I'm like, I should do that. So I started thinking about like, so I dropped my notes here. Um, like what, what could I talk about? What is something that like where I pick up kind of the randomness of popular culture, music, movies, TV, comics or whatever. And, and what is something I could kind of do consistently? Because this isn't just a podcast about comics, not just a podcast about movies. It really is kind of a, of a, a hodgepodge in a way. But in the main sense, um, it's, it, it, uh, it's, it's the love of things random. Because one of the things I've noticed about myself in doing this sort of weird self-examination of my, of popular culture and my relationship with it is that I'm a huge I'm a geek, and and of course, and I'm a I'm a dork. I mean, that's kind of half the point of this. And I am. I feel like sometimes that I'm a jack of all trades and master of none. Like I'm a huge Teen Titans fan. I'm a huge fan of Robin and Nightwing, but I'm also a big Star Wars fan. Um, I have for a while was really, really big into Trek, uh, especially when I was in junior high and early high school. And I, I do love me some good some good Star Trek stuff every once in a while. Um and I'm a sports fan and I and and I also have a real penchant for like uh teen movies and television from like the 80s and 90s i have a, a a way more degrassi junior high and degrassi high stuff than anybody uh should from from back then um and i've seen probably just about every teen movie from the 80s which is why i can do episodes about can't buy me love and say anything and saying almost fire and, and what have you but i'm not like I don't consider myself the authority on anything. And and when it comes to some of the stuff that I like, I just kind of like it on a level that I'm comfortable with as opposed to going kind of whole hog into it. So, you know, um, I do a podcast about Robin, that's right, but I am not the authority on Robin. In fact, there's a ton of Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, and Tim Drake stuff that I've never read. Um, I got the Robin showcase uh, Showcase presents Robin, which um, f- which I use source material here and there 
for like eight bucks, like just last year. I got I fished it out of a discount trade bin at my comic shop, and and I actually just bought the Batgirl one uh, a couple weeks ago. Hi Stella, and um, and and you know when it comes to Star Wars, I've got the original trilogy from the original DVD release in widescreen. I have the prequel trilogy on DVD, and I have the original original versions on VHS <clears throat> that are transfers from the laserdisc releases but it's um but that's about it you know I don't I've got a few toys left a couple of action figures I have a couple of books and I love reading about it I I have the Marvel omnibuses but I'm not that deep into the EU and and things like that so I'm like well what could I talk about what could I do consistently over top over one thing um, over one year that's one theme but a lot of different topics because that's kind of what I do and who I am when it comes to being you know it's pop culture podcast well I took a look I had some ideas of what to do that stuff that had to do with comics I had some stuff to do I had some ideas for episodes about certain movies and I may or may not get to some of those this year I may get them to the next year it depends on, on what I what I decide to put out but I, I was I was thinking about this I took a look at my very last blog post from last year I always do a blog post on New Year's Eve and I got it in like right at the last minute I think I got it posted at like 10 o'clock at night it was 1993 the most 90s year of the 90s and if you're um, if you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about it was all about comic books it was just basically a list of I think it was like 10 comic books 10 individual comic issues or storylines or storylines or events that happened in 93 that make that year what we refer to, the definition of what we refer to in comic fandom as the 90s. Because the 90s have this reputation of being big guns, big tits, extreme stuff, big character death, armor, pockets and leather jackets and like you know just just everything's amped up and if and and I said if you look through it it was that was the culmination of all of that which had started a couple of years before you know your Todd McFarlane Jim Lee Rob Liefelds uh type of artwork and and those kind of like short on story long on artwork type of of, of publications and if you go to the blog you'll see I talk about everything from the really good like um the death of super the, not the death of superman that was i need to reign of the superman nightfall uh to stuff that was you know to stuff that kind of had a diminishing return uh and then i bring up kind of the things that were the more notorious thing like the feel the blood cover of blood strike number 1 um deathmate which was the valiant image crossover that was just uh, apparently just ridiculously bad, um, and part of me wants to do a podcast episode about it one time, but I I'd have to sucker somebody into that in order to do it. I'm not going to do it alone, but or or maybe we can trick the guys and back. Maybe somebody can trick the guys and back to the bins to do it. Um, and then uh, I think the the worst the worst thing of the whole thing was the fact that I admitted that I owned the homage. Homage, co- homage Comics or Homage Studios or Homage Studios, uh, Jim Lee's studio, uh, 
swimsuit special, which features Voodoo from Wildcats with her back turned to the camera wearing a thong and nothing else. I was 16 years old, alright? So anyway. So I'm like, alright. So I had that, I'm like, okay. I started to think about the 90s. And I started to think about what defined the 90s. And yeah, when you're talking about comics fandom and the 90s in that sort of pejorative way of saying it, you think of 1993. But if you look at the 90s in terms of comics, there's two kind of halves to the decade. Because by 94, 95, the market had completely fallen, the bottom had fallen out of the speculator market. And DC uh, and Marvel start to, uh, Marvel starts to get into more and more financial trouble. And DC starts to come to that realization that they have very, very good writers. And the quality of comics starts to improve as well as the fun you have with comics starts to improve as you go through the decade. Especially toward the end of the decade, like 98, 99. Um, you know, by 96, we've got Kingdom Come. You know, then we have we have uh, James Robinson's Starman. We have a whole bunch of stuff. We have Grant Morrison's JLA. We have just a whole bunch of stuff that's fun, and it's great to read, and it's so vastly different in some of the crap that was being put out in the early part of the decade. Although there was plenty of crap being put out in the later part of the decade, trust me. But so I started thinking about that. So I started thinking about okay, like, well, how do you define a decade? How do you define a decade by one moment or one year or, or, or things, things like that? And I started to zero in on the 1990s because I had been thinking about it. And I started to zero in not on 93, but on 1994, which is about which is 20 years ago this year. And I, when I started breaking it down and I started looking at it, I saw that 1994, in a big way, is the most important year of the 1990s. When you're talking about culture and popular culture, 1994 is the most important year of the 90s. Now, how do you define that? Like, how do I reach that conclusion? What is it that um, that that made me make that statement? Which is, I guess, a bold statement. I mean, I'm a podcaster talking about popular culture. It's not like I just said something like really revolutionary. Well, I'll talk about it, but I'm going to take a break first. So listen to the promos for these fine podcasts, and I'll be right back. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I... Well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. 
Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. It's Megacom, the largest comic book, anime, gaming, and multimedia event in the southeastern U.S. returns. Megacon from March 21st through the 23rd, 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center in Magical Orlando, Florida. Confirmed comic book guests include Frank Bruner, Neil Adams, Bill Sinkevic, Mark Wade, Ron Mars, Greg Land, Michael Golden, Dennis Calero, George Perez, Brandon Peterson, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, Collie Hamner, Carl Story, Renee Winterstater, Billy Tucci, and Brian Polito. Just added Nick Bradshaw, Adam Kubert, Dan Jurgens, Mike Miller, Kevin Eastman, Joshua Ortega, Digger, Bart Sears, Ethan Van Skyver, Mike McCone, Frank Thierry, Mike Mayhew, and Chuck Dixon. Confirmed media guests include stars from AMC's The Walking Dead, Torchwood, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, and many, many, many more. Plus I, Scott Gardner, will be there representing the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Tickets are available online now at www.megaconvention.com. Children 10 and under are free with paid adult ticket. That's Megacon 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center, Magical Orlando, Florida, March 21st through the 23rd. For information, contact info at megaconvention.com or visit www. Megaconvention.com. That's Megacon 2014. Be there. So, what? How do you define an important year? How do you define a year and a decade? How do you define what is the most important year? I mean, on some level, I guess you could take some decades. You can take kind of any year and say, okay, yeah, this is what this decade was. The 80s are kind of like that. You can take 1985 or 1986 or 1987, and more or less, you have a feel of what the decade was like. Um, Yes, there are differences between 1989 and 1982, but the 80s kind of is like its own kind of personality, whereas the 60s, are completely different from the beginning to the end. You look at 1960 and you look at 1970, and there's a significant difference when you look at popular culture, from fashion to um, to music to movies to television to all these things. There's a, a drastic, drastic change. Um, and every decade does have its different parts. And and there's always a sort of one moment, but there's always a sort of one moment in one year that almost sig- is is kind of a 
it's like a cultural watershed moment. It's like that's the moment where things change and kind of you see where where the definition of the decade begins to sh- take shape in that particular year. Um, not knowing a whole hell of a lot about the 1970s beyond what I've seen, I'd say about 74, 75 would be that. I want to say 74 mainly because of the, the resignation of Richard Nixon and, and the rise of disco and, and, and some other things that, that happened kind of as we get through that time um, because it kind of was the last nail in the coffin of the 1960s. But I was born in 77, so I'm not, I haven't experienced that much of it. I will say that the watershed moment for the 80s was August 1st, 1981, the launch of MTV. Now, that's not the year that defined the decade, but that's the moment that started the decade. And that's another thing. There's a, there's this sort of like moment that starts a decade and moments that define a decade. And, and you see how they kind of, um, they kind of, of evolve over time. It's not as, it's not as exact as, as you want to make it out to be. Um, the 2000s have either one or two. I mean, you could clearly say that the 2000s, the decade is defined or, or at least begins with 9-11. And, and that owes no explanation. But the other one, the other moment that I turn to when I think of the 2000s is the halftime show in the Super Bowl in 2004. If you're unfamiliar with that, that's the one where Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson were singing and Jay, Justin Timberlake ripped off um, part of Janet Jackson's clothing and her boob was exposed and we ended up learning a new phrase in our lexicon, wardrobe malfunction. So so that's what that... Um, yeah, so, so I would say that like kind of helps define the decade and that kind of helps... You know, make it what it is, and, and you really will think about that when you're coming back to the 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 decade because it is kind of one of those moments, those touchstones. So, what about the 1990s? Why is it 94? Why is that year the defining year? Well, I can boil it down to a moment and an, an event, and in this case, and and you may know where I'm going with this, but the moment. The kind of is where the 90s kind of like it's almost like the exact center of the decade is Kurt Cobain's suicide. Um, I, at one point in a, in a novel I've wrote, written that that is unpublished, I said that uh, uh, one character and her sister sit on opposite sides of the Nirvana Britney Spears generational divide, and my sister and I are kind of like that. I think my sister had my sister been one year younger than me, we definitely would have been, but um, but. She went. She graduated high school in 1998. I graduated high school in 1995, and so the four years I was in high school, when I'm thinking of music, I went from I I I, I picked up on Queen after Wayne's World, and and really never let go of Queen. But I went from Guns and Roses and Metallica to Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Green Day. Nine Inch Nails, you know these groups, and and she had some of the stuff. She had some some Pearl Jam and things, but I remember she went through a Beatles phase. I know in junior high, but but her her CD collection for a time was Dave Matthews Band. She had some Pearl Jam, some Aerosmith, uh, and she had In Sync and the Backstreet Boys and um, Britney Spears. I don't know if she had a Christina Aguilera CD, but she had 
those CDs because that was what was huge in the latter part of the decade. Um, I had Dave Matthews because I went to college, and if you were in college in the 1990s, you were issued Dave Matthews, especially if you were a guy because that's how you got laid. Um, but kind of like I was like, okay, like 1984, you know, that moment, that, 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 that generation-defining moment of Kurt Cobain's suicide. And, and I looked at it, and I was like, okay, that's the moment. Is the whole year like that? And, and I think if you really take a look at 19, the 1990s, and you take a look at all the things that encompass our popular culture. And, and again, I'm generalizing and I'm just kind of making assumptions. And I've done a minimal amount of research to this, just kind of listing things off the top of my head and going to Wikipedia just to look at stuff. But you've got, you can break it down into four segments in terms of the years of the decade. I realized that technically the decade did not um, start until 1991. But math people, I'm sorry, we're going to start with 1990, because when we hit 90, 1990, there was this sort of like blank of the 90s thing that was going, that was kind of a a, a common term thrown around. They were saying that as the 80s were ending, oh, the 90s are going to be different. I'm a woman in the 90s, I'm a guy of the 90s, the 90s, 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 and it started in 1990. But 90 to 91, 1991, like right toward the end of 91, was kind of the the 80s hangover period. Where if you look at something and it's like 1990 or 1991, you might mistake it for something from about 87, 88, or 89. Because cult pop culture does not stop on a dime like that. It's very rare that you can take the first year of a decade and say this was the end of one decade and the beginning of the other. 1980s kind of like that in a way uh, because Studio 54 closes, John Lennon gets shot, and and the 70s kind of end. So the 60s kind of end in 1970. You can see it. The 80s take a little while to die out in terms of its culture. And then um, it's not like Nirvana. You know, Nirvana comes in and Nirvana... Um, Nirvana does, you know, make an impact. But, but as I pointed out in a prior episode, I think it was the Guns N' Roses episode way back in uh, one of my first or second episodes of the show. It takes a long time for Nevermind to really... Uh, kick in the Guns N' Roses is still big going into 1992 so it's not like all of a sudden Nevermind was released and everything else died in its path um, but in 91 into 94 that is that high that high um, watermark for the Generation X era or grunge music or whatever you want to call it that's the era with Pearl Jam and Nirvana and STP and Smashing Pumpkins and that's when you have you know Douglas Copeland writing gener- you know Douglas Copeland books and you have um this sort of the 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 if you look at how MTV was it was this sort of reflection of people who at the time were older than I was uh, mostly in college the slacker generation were still in the recession you know these the, the these ideas were floating around and then you have Cobain's suicide in 94 and it, it coincides with the rise of different things in, in music and movies and television. And you have a real transition between 94 and about 96 uh, in the decade. The economy starts to improve. Clinton gets elected again. And, and things get lighter as 94 goes into 95 and then goes into 96. And when you hit 1996, the pop and boy band era starts with like the Spice Girls. And even though the Spice Girls actually formed a little bit earlier than that, when the Spice Girls started to hit, I think it was like 96 or early 97. And um, 
and then you have the that that teen pop era, the TRL era, carries us through the rest of the decade. So 1994 is kind of the beginning of that transition, and so much of what came to really define the decade or became important either took place in or was like released in or started in 1994. Just let's look at some some of the things. Just I'll run down I'll run down a list of some stuff. We've got let's look at movies. We've got Pulp Fiction. We have Clerks, which I admittedly didn't see until 95 because it was it was released in theaters and nobody saw it on the theater. That movie gained its momentum in 94-95 through video rentals or thefts from what I've heard. Uh the biggest movie that year is The Lion King. Uh, there were three Jim Carrey movies that year. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber all came out in 1994. Uh, so this was like, you know, and I knew who Jim Carrey was having watched In Living Color for years and years, but uh, in its first few years, but this was like, okay, you know, this was Jim Carrey like hitting hitting huge. Um, Four Weddings and a Funeral launches, launches Hugh Grant's career around here. True Lies comes out. We have Stargate, which uh, spawned two successful television series. Reality Bites, a movie that I'm definitely going to talk about. It's it's right up there with singles in terms of that twenty something post collegiate stress disorder movie. It's 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 right up there with with Sanomos and 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 singles. Uh, the Crow is released that year. Speed comes out, and Speed kind of ushers in a new era of. Um, a new era of kind of action films uh, that that eventually become kind of disaster films every year. But you have Forrest Gump wins Best Picture, which there are people who love that movie, and I really don't. I have it on video. I own the soundtrack. I took three different girls to see it, hooked up with one of them. Um, but never like on repeated viewings. I just, I, I don't like it. And, and, and I, I don't want to do an episode about it because maybe I'll do a blog post because I don't want to spend time on something I hate. Um, not that like, you know, not that I don't spend time on things like critical about, I just don't want to be like, you know, I'm just going to, oh, I'm going to ramble on for 60 minutes or a half an hour or an hour and a half about why I like fucking hate Forrest Gump. But, um, People talk about how Raging Bull getting robbed by ordinary people was the biggest robbery in the Oscar in Oscars history, at least for a long time. I say that Forrest Gump robbing Pulp Fiction of Best Picture um, was was it uh, because I actually, but that's then again, I love the movie Ordinary People, and that's another discussion for another day. Uh, what else we got? With Natural Born Killers. Uh, so this is the rise of Tarantino, like Tarantino becoming star Tarantino because uh, Dogs had come out a couple of years before, but that, but uh, but this was like when Tarantino became like you know really really noticed. Uh, Tim Burton and Johnny Depp make Ed Wood. We have the Shawshank Redemption, which would be rerun on cable in perpetuity. Uh, we have oh Star Trek Generations. <laughs> that movie made a ton of money though we laugh and we piss and we moan and and rightfully so because it's kind of it's kind of ass but that movie made a shit ton of money 
Um, and we have oh, Legends of the Fall, which is that movie with Brad Pitt's chest. Um, you know, oh, and long haired Brad Pitt. I think I saw that with my friend Kathy. Um, and then you go like on TV. TV, TV is is big when it comes to 1994 because if you run, I'm running down this list of things that I noted, and I'm like, holy crap, this really is the kind of defining 90s year, defining year of TV because so much either ends or starts. Um. In 1994, CBS has, at this point, has lost the rights to the NFC, and Fox starts broadcasting football. This is huge. 20 years ago, this is huge because um, NBC would broadcast the was broadcasting the AFC football. They would eventually lose that to CBS, and now now we now we have. Um, Fox uh, Fox has the NFC, CBS has the AFC, uh, NBC has Sunday Night Football, and ABC has, well, ESPN has Monday Night Football. And uh, so this was really the start of an era here. You have the end of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is kind of one of, it's one of those last vestiges of the 80s. That's that's going away, and of course you would have um, Star Trek Generations, and that would transition into the the next gen movies. Only. One of which I've seen. I saw First Contact, which I enjoyed, but I don't think I've seen the other ones. Um, Babylon Five. I was never never watched Babylon Five, but that started. Um, the Real World didn't premiere. The Real World premiered a couple of years before. And if there's a defining series of the '90s, in some way or another. A series that kind of really does show the 1990s, at least as youth culture, youth culture is concerned, it is the real world. The season that aired in 1990 started in 1994, and I believe ended in 1995. It started kind of in the in the summer of 94 and ran through uh, 95. Was San Francisco, which uh, is known for three people, uh, well, two people, and then a third who who would get famous later. First, Puck, who got kicked out of the house and was really the first big breakout infamous reality star type, like I'm famous for being on a reality show type of person to come out of this. This was like a new thing. Like nobody kind of knew what to make of this guy whose only fame was the fact that he just let his life be taped and he was the kind of pain in the ass in the house. Now that's kind of commonplace. It's like you have to have that person in the house. But back in 1994 in San Francisco, this wasn't the case. Um, the other, one other person was Pedro Pedro Zamora, who would eventually who had AIDS and would eventually succumb to AIDS. Uh, and um, that's the season that he, it's known for because of, because of, of the fact that he passed away. But his AIDS activism and and this was this was the height of of. AIDS awareness, AIDS awareness and AIDS education and in schools and things. And the other person is Judd Winnick, who is currently a, a, a comic writer, if you're unfamiliar with comic books. And uh, he was, he in fact wrote uh, Pedro and Me, which is a, a, a very touching and very poignant, he drew it as well, a book about his friendship with Pedro Zamora uh, and, and, be, and his time on the real world. So this is one of the most famous seasons of the real world. Uh, it's not available anywhere to my knowledge, but I'll, I'll see if I can track down. I'd love to do an episode about it. Um, then keep moving on. You want the start of another era, the end of one era, the start of another one, the end of the 80s hangover and the start of the 90s. 
Valerie Malone begins her stay in Beverly Hills 90210. Shannon Doherty had left the show the previous uh, year, and uh, Saved by the Bell had been, as you know from listening to my Saved by the Bell episode, which I had so much fun doing, uh, that got canceled. Or that didn't get canceled. That was still going. The new class was still going. But the old class graduated, and then you had uh, Saved by the Bell College years, and that lasted all of a season. And by next, that, that August or September, uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen had come to live with the Walshes to replace Brenda as she was Valerie. And then she um, she was there until about 98, 99, and then we'd come back, I think, for like the finale or something. Um, other shows that got it their start, um, you have Party of Five, which got its start. You have ER, which ran for a number of years into the 2000s. Um, Arsenio Hall's talk show ends. So the kind of era of the early 90s still ending. In Living Color ends. Ends pretty quietly. That had kind of faded from you. Um, three shows that were actually pretty important. Um, two of which you're like, yeah. And one of which you're like, huh. The Essence of Emerald premieres on the Food Network in 1994. And if you know any, my wife just read a book about the Food Network. I'll have to ask her if I could borrow it. Um, about the inside thing, but The Essence of Emerald was the first show starring Emerald Lagasse, and if you really know anything about how the Food Network really made its mark, it was Emerald Lagasse who was the first breakout star. He kind of made the network what it is. Well, this is where it starts, and yeah, that's a that's a important cable TV moment. Um, another show that started in the fall of 1994 uh, is Friends which is one of the definitive shows of the 1990s. And the other show, which um, I am definitely, definitely planning a big episode about, or maybe two, because it is one of my all-time favorite television shows. Um, and I and I want to give it its due, and, and some friends of mine and I want to give it its due, and it premieres in August of 94. and only goes until January of 95. It only had 19 episodes, but that is my so-called life. And, uh, and... That that so that that's that's television. That's television in the '90s, right there, encapsulated in a bunch of shows. That was one year, but you look at like across the '90s and like, wow, it's the end of some stuff, the beginning of the other. It's kind of that's the point. Um, music. I mentioned the death of Kurt Cobain. I know I was listening to a lot of music back then, but I I looked at what I had been listening to, and I was like, well, I was listening to a lot of rock and and grunge and things like that, and I know I was listening to a lot of stuff from the 70s and maybe even the 80s to a certain extent. Um, You have, of course, the death of Kurt Cobain. You have Woodstock 94. You have Michael Bolton getting found guilty of plagiarizing a song, which I just point out because up until that point, the station that I used to listen to when I was a kid, which was WBLI out on Long Island, um, I'd stopped listening to it mainly uh, unless like, I was listening to the radio in my parents' kitchen because it was the, the only station it picked up. All they would freaking play was Michael Bolton and Celine Dion. Celine Dion, unfortunately, stayed with us. But Bolton, you know... Up until the last couple of years when he's been kind of doing a little bit of self-parody here and there, Bolton was, like, huge. And, God, I hated his music. Funny enough, you know, if a tree falls in a forest and makes a sound and makes a sound, uh, and nobody's around, does anybody does it make a sound, can be applied to the new kids on the block, or, I'm sorry, NKOTB, uh, because they released their final album, at least of their first era before they reunited. It was called Face the Music, and I don't think anybody got it. Um, in fact, I want to say, um, I'll have to look this up. 
I think this is also the year that the Funky Headhunter came out, Hammer. My wife has a copy of that. Um, uh, the biggest song of 1994 for a decade that's known for like grunge and punk and rock and things, The Sign by Ace of Base, which is why I led the show off with the song. That was the number one song of the year, according to Billboard magazine. Other albums that came out this year, you have Alice in Chains releasing their EP, Jar of Flies, Tori Amos releasing Under the Pink, uh, the Reality Bites soundtrack, the Crow soundtrack were pretty big. Uh, Nine Inch Nails released The Downward Spiral. Soundgarden released Super Unknown. Um, Hole released uh, Live Through This. Weezer's first album, The Blue One, came out. Stone Temple Pilots released my favorite album of theirs, which is Purple. Uh, and of all things, even though this band really wouldn't hit until 95, Cracked Your Review by Hootie and the Blowfish came out in 1994. Um as did Under the Table and Dreaming by Dave Matthews Band. So when I say like there was this sort of lightening up and and and, and transitioning from 1994 to about 96 90, into 97, this is where it begins because some of these these um, uh, albums that come out that kind of define those those middle years come out in 94 toward the tail end of 94, even though they didn't pick up steam until 95. Um, I'd say the most important albums to me in um, Album to me in 1994 was Green Day's Dookie, which I'll probably definitely, probably not, probably definitely do an episode about. It is essentially the album that changed my life, and I'll get into way more detail about it. But clearly, I look at that, and then I look at how I started listening to the Clash and the Ramones and the Replacements, and and it really was because I found something listening to Green Day that I hadn't been hearing and in, in listening to a steady diet of, I think it was, I was listening to a lot of Metallica at the moment. And I want to say the Metallica's big-ass, like, $100 box set live shit binge and purge came out. Um, and I think I'm going to have to, I'll, I'll probably do a post on that this year, because only because that thing was massive, and I remember a friend of mine had it, and, and it was like, you know, I taped a couple of songs off of it, but that was, that was, uh, I remember that being a pretty big deal when it came out too, or at least to the Metallica fans. Of all things, the Jerky Boys released albums this year. Rusted Root released When I Woke. And, and I'm, of course, I'm staying kind of the rock pop realm um, because I don't listen to a lot of rap and hip hop, but uh, Notorious B.I.G. this year released Ready to Die. Um, you had Tupac's Thug Life Volume 1, TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool, uh, you have um, Two by Boys to Men, which features I'll Make Love to You. Oasis comes out with Definitely Maybe. R.E.M. comes out with Monster. Uh, the Eagles get back together. So we got, to hear, we got to hear an extended version of Hotel California over and over and over and over again on the radio. Um, Jeff Buckley releases Grace. Uh, and in comics, now comics... <clears throat> the year in comics, I would have to go. I really have to go back through this because uh, I was just kind of jotting down notes late the other night, and and I think by the time I got to comics, I was like, oh well, you know. So I'm gonna have to go back through Mike's Amazing World and see what came out at the time. I know that Marvels came out in in its in its individual issues uh, in in that year, and that's important because that really introduced us to Alex Ross, and on it introduced me to Kirk Sick too. Uh, I know that Mark Wade was doing The Flash at this point. I know that the Superman titles were still going pretty strong. 
In fact, I know for a fact that the Superman titles are pretty good, going pretty strong because I listened to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, and you should too. Zero Hour was this year, which was the big DC crossover, which is... The crossover issues are awesome. The actual series is pretty, pretty bad. Um, or, or it, no, underwhelming. Underwhelming. You've got Kyle Rayner becoming Green Lantern. Uh, you have, but you also have Emerald Twilight. So you have things. You have <clears throat> the end of the market collapse. You have the death of Jack Kirby as well. You have the marriage of Scott Summers and Jean Grey over the X Men. Action number seven hundred comes out. The Clone Saga gets started in Spider Man. So you have. Um, I know Neil Gaiman is starting to wrap up or wrapping up Sandman at this point. James Robinson's Starman starts till the end of the year. Uh, G.I. Joe gets canceled with issue 155. So you have things that are kind of the end of the tail end of the 80s in the case of G.I. Joe or the end of the 90s as we know it and the beginning of the 1990s in that sense that there was all these other things that happened and there was just the kind of the year where these two kind of transitioned and mishmashed together. And I know I've said transition like a billion times during this podcast. But if you look at those, movies, TV, television, movies, TV, music, and comics... And I'm sure there's other stuff. There's, I mean, there's life events for me. I mean, I, I, it, it's kind of an important year for me if I'm thinking of my of of my teenage years. I, I did not graduate. I, I like I said, I graduated the following year, so I turned 17. Biograph autobiographically, you know, this is the year I first kissed a girl, and and there were other things that happened in 1994 that I look back very fondly upon. Um, that that really helped kind of not like, oh, this is the year that shaped me who I am. But there are things I look upon I'm like, yeah, you know, if this didn't happen, things would be a lot different. So so that's one of the other reasons I really, really like this year. Um, so I was looking at all that. And when I spent the last almost 45 minutes or so, 45, 50 minutes or so uh, rambling about, um, although I think we're almost up to an hour at this point, actually, I decided, okay, Let's do a whole year, 1994, the most important year of the 90s. And yeah, I might do a couple of episodes here and there that have nothing to do with this topic, just kind of because I want to do something. And I would like to do more than just 12 episodes over the course of the whole year. Um, I did go bi-weekly at some point last summer, and if I can get myself ahead of schedule the way I do my other podcasts, I will be able to do like a bi-weekly or something like that um but yeah i plan on so so i plan on looking at some movies i know i'm looking at reality bites i may do tarantino i probably probably will do tarantino i i may take a look at clerks um although part of me wants to skip talking about clerks and do an entire episode of mall rats next year uh because to me that's kevin smith's most underrated film but Again, I digress. Uh, I want to talk about some comic stuff. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk about... I'd love to do something on Zero Hour. I'd love to talk about um, a couple of other like random series from, from 1994. I, I've been recollecting damage, and I've been enjoying the heck out of it. Uh, maybe some other stuff. Maybe looking at stuff like Marvels, or maybe just doing an episode on 1994 in comics or something. Um, doing some music like like albums like Dookie and other stuff that came out this year, uh, doing the important television shows, looking at the first season. I could rewatch the first season of Friends. I, if I can get a hold of the real world San Francisco, I'll do an episode of that. 
hell yes, I'm doing an episode of my so-called life. So um, it's going to be a big nostalgia trip. Uh, and, and if I pull this off, I hope I'm not digging my own grave here in this sort of like, hey, I'm going to do this and then I do it. But it's going to be a big nostalgia trip and I'm going um, to, I think I'm really going to enjoy it because I, I enjoy talking about this stuff. And I find this fun, and I've always found fun doing this podcast fun. And when I get to sit and plan out stuff out like this, and and really get my mind into it, uh, I think I it'll be great, and I think you'll really enjoy it. And and I, I want to have some guests on. I want to get their experiences and opinions about certain things. So, um, like I said, nineteen ninety four, a, a great year. The most important year of a decade. Well, I'm saying it now. When we roll back around at the end of this in in December, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll kind of have a final verdict. But until then, next time around, yeah, I'll do an episode. I don't know what topic I'm going to cover yet, so you'll have to uh, you'll have to come back and see. But until then, thanks for listening. have reached the end of another episode of pop culture affidavit all music clips or other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders and as this podcast is intended for entertainment and i make no money off of it no infringement is intended clips pictures and show notes can be found at pop culture affidavit a blog where each week I take a look at a random thing in the world of popular culture and give my opinion as well as personal experience and memories I have with it, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback and other comments about this podcast can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness.